You're listening to Door and Window Discussions, the official podcast of Door and Window Market Magazine, where each month we open new insights into the industry's latest news and host discussions with some of its most interesting people. DWM is the only business-to-business publication that's devoted exclusively to coverage of the full door and window industries, with a circulation that's audited by BPA Worldwide. And now, let's talk doors and windows. Welcome to Door and Window Discussions. I'm Drew Vass, editor of DWM Magazine, and I'm here with Tara Taffer of the magazine's publisher and editorial director. Well, Tara, here we are, our second episode. That's right, and I'm so excited because we got such great feedback from our first one. But I do wanna clear something up from our last podcast. It's a forward slash, not a backslash. Really? Well, I am so glad that we got that all cleared up. And if you don't know what that's all about, then go back and listen to our first episode with Tyson Schwartz. So today we have two guests. That's right, so stick around and be sure to listen to both. First up is David Barnes, president of the door and window manufacturing company Viwinco in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Uh, let me tell you, Drew, I remember visiting David and his plant at least 10 years ago. Probably more, I honestly don't remember. It's fading. Oh, stop. Um, well, maybe he will remember. Anyhow, back then it really made an impression. I remember it as one of the most automated I had visited to date. And that's saying a lot for 10 years ago. Exactly, and I'm sure it's so much more automated even now. Well, let's find out. David, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Welcome. So David, is your memory better than mine? Do you remember when that visit took place? You know, Tara, the funny thing is uh, my memory's probably just as bad as yours. <laughs> and, and looking back, uh, it was over 10 years ago, that I do know. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, I'm like, you know, I think it actually was more than that. <laughs> I can make you feel better. I could pull at least 105 or 106 employees that are still here today when you came in, and they couldn't tell you the date either. All right, all right. Wow. So we're just all getting old and don't remember anything. <laughs> I'm definitely in that club. So, David, uh, since I don't know you as well as Tara, let's uh, give me and our listeners a few of the basics, if you don't mind. Um, you've been in business for more than 30 years, right? We started in 1982, so we're uh, 37 plus years in, in uh, manufacturing of windows. And uh, Drew, when we started in business, we had a wholesale roofing and siding company as a family business. And we thought we would make a few replacement double hungs uh, to sell along with siding. And uh, obviously vinyl was uh, kind of becoming popular. And uh, I remember Seasonal was the big window player in Pennsylvania and they were on 12-week lead time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we introduced the factory, and I'll just tell you the story as I would tell it to anybody coming in for a tour. You know, we had six guys building windows around a table with screw guns. Uh, tables all made out of plywood and two-by-fours. And um, we started buying glass from a glass shop, uh, and it wasn't more than a couple of months uh, we got a glass line. Uh, we couldn't rely on other sources. So uh, we were in that building. It was 8,000 square feet. We were there for three years. Uh, we had probably 15 or 20 employees when we moved it into 12,500 square feet. And we were there three years, and we moved into the current facility we're in in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, uh, in 1988. And at that point, we had around 32, 35 employees. Uh, 
as of um, this year, you know, we, we're down a little bit under 300, but uh, we've been as high as uh, 365 people through the careers, but you know, or my career, and um, you know, we are constantly adding on as as we go. We started originally as a replacement window company only. We had slider, picture window, double hung, and then we moved into bay windows in the early 80s and. In the 90s, uh, new construction windows uh, started switching over from wood and aluminum to also offering vinyl, and we jumped into that in a big way. And So it was time, uh, it, time uh, to add on nail fins, right? Well, the, the products were coming out, and yeah, nail fins all of a sudden was a different product to, to fabricate as well as, you know, how it's installed. And, and even the user of the product. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. So you know, you, you spoke about starting on a table with your jigs and your uh, you know your screw guns, and but obviously, I mean, technology has come so far. I mean, how much has it changed there? I mean, obviously, it's, it's now you're probably automated and equipment. When you when you really look at it uh, in the last probably twenty years, uh, twenty five years, you know, the functions really haven't changed. There's not a lot of stuff that's changed other than glass or spacer systems. Uh, but we started welding products in the um, 80s uh, with two-point, uh, you know, two-headed welders. And two-point welders, uh, we bought one, and from there, uh, we jumped into four points and, and dual stacking, quad stacking. Uh, so the function of welding the frames together really hasn't changed, but the equipment and more, sh- more so the technology on the machinery side has changed and CNC technology has, you know, come about. And of course, now you have the internet of things out in the facilities. So uh, it really has changed if you've been in the business, but the functions of building a window, making an insulated glass unit uh, frame of the sash and the frame of the window, they really haven't changed that much. Mm -hmm. Well, like I said in the intro, I definitely was impressed by your plant all those years ago. And every year, um, I think without fail, I always see you at Glass Build. You're always looking for the most automated (laughs) equipment, the latest industry products. Um, Why is it so, I mean, yes, the industry's changing, but I mean, some people don't have to change along with it, but I feel like you are one of those people who do. Why do you think it's so important to always keep innovating with your components and your final products? Well, Tara, I'm not that smart. (laughs) (laughs) You are. I can can tell you this. The first employee of of Viwinco was Mike Duncan. Mm -hmm. And and Mike Duncan introduced me, I forget the first year uh, that Interglass Metal happened. And Mike, you know, was the one running the facility. I was really out doing the sales and, and that side of the business early on. And he and I... Uh, have been in a tremendous partnership for 37 plus years. And it was funny because Mike says, I want to take you to a machinery show. And if it was our good old friend, Dick Dietrich, I think was, uh, might've been the one who suggested he go there. I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. but um, we, we went in and I got to tell you, it was like a kid in a candy store for both Mike and myself. Like, wow, this is not, punch dies this is not screw guns this is actually cool stuff (laughs) now now of course it's automation right and yeah can we can we talk a little bit about that i mean is your company moving that way as it gets harder and harder to find employees well drew uh you haven't been here 
Uh, when Tara was here, the sales guys used to come in and say, hey, I've seen all this equipment, but I've never seen it all under one roof. Uh, I was criticized a lot in the 90s by some of my peers that you could buy cheaper equipment, you could get a two-headed welder for instead of four-point, and we always felt you needed to do the right thing, and if you're going to do it right, uh, you got to learn it. So that's what we would do is travel to places and, and attend shows. And, of course, Mike was constantly getting pounded by all the suppliers of the equipment coming in here. So, you know, we were always trying to uh, stay on the forefront. Uh, your magazines, those types of things, we were just, you know, thirst for knowledge. We, we're still trying to be the best window company where some of my competitors that are gobbled up are, you know, they're trying to make the last nickel for the shareholders. But we love the process. And the process and the procedure really is, uh, that's the fun part of the business. And the automation that has come about really, I think, stands um, alone because it's improving the process. And in some cases, it might be eliminating safety issues. It might be eliminating people. But uh, it's really how do you get by uh, with the least amount of space and it creates other challenges of having better technicians and better engineers. Um, you know, in the early days, everybody in the window business just used to throw people at their problems. And mm -hmm. we always had the opinion that, yeah, you can throw people at it, but you got to give them the right tools. And if you did something for 25 years without a, the right tool, you can imagine what it's like to have the right tool. And speaking of tools, David, one word that you mentioned, and I'm glad you, you brought it up, is safety. And I wanted to kind of slot that in as a topic, and partly for selfish reasons, and actually I'm being selfish for you, Tara. Um, she has an article coming out in March that's just going to be amazing, but it covers the industry from a safety standpoint, and specifically machinery. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, we want to get your take on that and, and how you approach the issue of safety. But Tara, can you kind of like fill us in a little bit without giving it away? Uh, blah. Absolutely, I can. So um, I had this article in my head for about two years at least. And just, you know, you're just busy. But I finally made it a priority, kind of squirreled myself away, so to speak. Um, over the last several months to really dig into machinery safety in plants. Um, I talked to machinery suppliers, window and door manufacturers, safety experts, looked at OSHA data, um, just looked at everything about how companies are safeguarding their machines to prevent accidents. Um, because sadly, there have been one too many in the last several years. Um, so that's, yeah, that's coming out in our, um, in our March issues. We're going to ask you a little bit about that too. And sadly, some of those accidents could have been prevented, right? And, uh, some yes. were even deadly. Yes. Unfortunately, yes. Um, there are incidents that I, um, you know, covered in my article of workers turning off guards on machines, um, and things that were put into place to keep employees safe. Um, so David, with a, such an automated plant, you have got to have procedures in place there to guard against this. Um, can you maybe talk about that just briefly? Well, I'm really not the right person to talk about it, but I will tell you from the big picture, uh, Mike Duncan, you know, he, he had had a, an accident uh, prior to coming to work for Viwinco. He was installing a window and he was capping a window and unfortunately uh, put a knife 
uh, into his eye, and they didn't get him the Will's eye quick enough. So mm. safety oh has been a priority from the first employee of Iwinco. Uh, as the owner of the company, uh, I care greatly about our employees, that they come to work and they go home safely uh, to their family. From the challenges of the amount of people, the amount of equipment, the size of the, you know, the two facilities we have here, uh, it, it, it is, uh, it's something that has to be paid attention to 100% of the time. Now, one of the things that we have put in at Winco, you can talk about all the great equipment. Uh, we made a conscious effort, obviously, to uh, build the training facility that we have. We have brought in corporate trainer that is uh, bilingual. Uh, we've got uh, a focus on the human resources to make sure that uh, we train people and give them, as I, as I said before, with the right tools. You've got to give them the right training. And we were always too busy. You hear the excuses from every business owner. I don't have time to do that. It's too expensive. And that's nonsense because we're dealing with people's lives. But back to the safety side of it, uh, same thing with process and procedures. Um, you have to look at the safety uh, from a different angle. Obviously, we've had a couple small accidents over the years. Uh, not happy with any of them and you know it's a shame when an employee reaches over a guard and loses the tip of his finger because he did something he wasn't supposed to do mm -hmm. uh, or we've had somebody literally put their arm in under saw guards and then accidentally hit the foot pedal and chop off their finger oh, oh my um, gosh and that was that was 20 some years ago and it just makes me ill thinking about these types of things and we all know once it happens, it's too late, mm -hmm. and it's an accident. It's an accident, and it's a shame that some of the safeguards uh, don't, you know, uh, have 100% foolproof to get human beings in there. Uh, and, and sadly to say, there's procedures that need to be followed, and people do need to be held accountable definitely when it comes to that. Um, well, I mean, we could sit here all day and, and talk to you. I know you have a lot um, that you could share with us, but I'm sure you have a lot of other things to do. Um, but we just wanted to thank you for joining us. I appreciate the opportunity, and I guess I will see you in Germany. <laughs> yes, actually, Drew will be there for me this year. I'm so sad I'm going to miss it, but he'll be there. Yeah, look forward Don't to seeing you there, I will, David. Take him, I will take him under my wing. Please do. Right. Yes, please do. I like I, the sound of that. Thanks, yes. David. Thanks Thank for you. joining us today. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. So how interesting, right? Like to come all that way from jigs and screwing together windows and replacement only. I mean, that's what a long ways for that company to come. Definitely. And I was really interested in his training facility. I really didn't know the extent of that. Um, definitely want to take another trip back there and uh, see how it's even grown mm -hmm. in all those years. And these companies have to kind of change the way they think about these things, right? Mm -hmm. Like just take a total break and say, okay, we're going to have to build a training facility. We're going to, you know, this what a change to make. But speaking of changes, our next guest is going to be totally different. Yes. Because he's set in to make some complete changes to the way windows and doors are sold. Yes, we're going to hear all about that. Dan Wolt is the founder of Zen Windows, which was started in Columbus and now has 34 locations. 
In fact, if you look at the DWM annual top dealers list in our March issue, which Drew, as you know, we're working right. on that right now, closing out that list. It's coming. Um, at least one of the Zen dealers uh, clocked in at about two million or more or in revenue in 2019. Indeed. And Zen Charlotte, not to give it away, but I just did, <laughs> they're, it's, they're a big hitter. So they, they also just looped in Tyson Schwartz. Right. Um, and if you haven't seen the news there, go to our website and read Tyson's blog where he made that announcement. Um, and if you don't know about the Zen model, it's pretty simple. The ordering is done online and their slogan is window quotes in five minutes. That's right. And if you go to their website, you will see the quote, meditate, relax, be one with the universe and never let a salesperson in your home. It's a unique strategy to say the least that's quite different from most. Um, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Uh, well, one thing that I want to tell our listeners um, that has always struck me about you is that you are pretty zen yourself, like seriously. You have this really relaxed, go with the flow kind of demeanor. At least that's my perception. Mine too. I try. You do? <laughs> well, you definitely pull it off because that's what I, you know, I mean, I don't know how many years ago we met when we first started talking. That was definitely evident. And it really does play into your model. So did all that play into you wanting to start a different kind of company like this? Yes, 100%. I had a brick and mortar, well, I sold windows at the University of Maryland in the 80s. I opened up my first brick and mortar in 1990. And then after 10 years, I just said, I have got to change my lifestyle. This is not me. This is not me at all. So. Um, I went to Zen and opened Zen and spent a year on branding the company, coming up with the name, coming up with the tagline, coming up with the logo, and away, away I went. So I have to be honest with you, uh, completely open with you, I'll say, Dan. When I first spoke with you, you really drove home the idea for working in your slippers, out of an RV, by the pool, and it all sounded really too good to be true to me but then you had your dealers send their photos to me you remember that article i was working on and sure enough that's where they all were so i just i have to ask is that a little bit of like a deliberate marketing or is that really the the mo here you know just a genuine mo the 100 percent genuine mo the the concept they came up with that is uh, <clears throat> money is a byproduct of lifestyle. So lifestyle first, money second. So I wanted every single person to live life. You know, <laughs> I read this imaginary book where you're born, you go to school, you go to college, you get a job, you work for 50 years or 40, you retire, and then you die. Well, in that 50 year span, it doesn't have to be that way. It, it could be a different way. You can live a really, really good life. For example, last year, my two biggest weeks were, I was in Italy for two weeks and I was in Israel for two weeks. And I had more sales come in than any time of the year. And it was, didn't matter does not matter where you are. As long as you have cell service and internet, 
you're good to go and you're in business. Wow. And is that why people, um, why you bring, keep bringing on other locations and people just, I'm sure there's a certain mentality that kind of is drawn to that model as well. It's not for everybody. Definitely. Yes. It's, uh, we actually have a waiting list right now because we're building infrastructure for the company because it's getting rather large and, um, we do better, better clients, you know, if people want to think this is a get rich quick scheme, that's not what it is at all. Um, you'll have a beautiful lifestyle. You'll do whatever you want. You can work from wherever you want. I think Drew, you brought up a picture, uh, I think in the magazine, actually, there's a picture of Dennis Riley. He just got a RV and work and just travels the country and works from his desk and has a little dog there and emails quotes and speaks to people and has his installers on the ground in St. Louis and loves his life. And before that, he, and he actually made a comment at one of our retreats that said he'd rather be homeless than go back to what he was doing before, which was working in a vinegar mill for 20 years. Wow. wow. So here's a question for you, Dan. Chicken or egg? I mean, does, does the model create the person and the way that they work, the lifestyle, or is the certain person drawn to the company based on their own lifestyle or the lifestyle they want? They're drawn to the company because of the lifestyle they want. Uh, Matt Rotundi, who is in Boston, worked for a window company and ran Leeds for 23 years and then realized, whoa, I can just hang out with my four children and be at home and do whatever I want. Uh, Matt Weniger, who has three markets and he's in, lives in Minnesota, but runs all of his markets from what his largest is Des Moines. Um, and he runs it for Minnesota. Ran leads for a company where he would leave on a Sunday, fly to a state and stay in a motel for six days, come home one day with family. And this was 10 years. And one day he picked up a magazine, may have been your magazine. I think it was actually Tara wrote the article and said, I am out of here. Uh, this is, this is what I want. I want to be home with my family. And now it's, Money is a byproduct of lifestyle, but he also does very well. And like we said before, we mentioned that uh, one of the people that this is drawn in is Tyson Schwartz, who announced that he's joining Zen Charlotte. That's a pretty big score, so you've got to be thrilled about that. I'm thrilled about it. I've known Ty for 25 years. He's a celebrity in the industry. He's so well-connected, and he's such a a mensch, just a, just, a, just a great guy. But, you know, we never poach, we never recruit, we don't do anything, but Ty was tired. He's 50. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, but he spent 150 days a year on the road, flying from place to place. And he's got two kids and a wife and he just is tired. He wants to go home. He wants to work with Brian. He wants to help expand Zen and wants to live life the way you should live life. Right, right. And I'm just curious. So of all your, so you have 34 locations 
And you just said that some of those owners own multiple locations. Is that right? I don't think I really thought about that or realized that. So would I know putting you on the spot here, but about how many come from that traditional window industry? Are they are are they in the minority? Is it more like people who come from like the vinegar mills, like you said? Yep. Uh, There's probably three or four from the window industry, if I were to guess. I think Brian is background is manufacturing, but most of them are just people that have had enough with life and said, this looks good. This looks really appealing. Let's give it a whirl. And you know, that's it. So yes, the minor- minority is the window industry. In fact, I had a gentleman and I won't name his name. I don't want to embarrass him, but when he came to training, he was so sick of working at Chubb Insurance. I have Chubb, so I'm not going to bash Chubb, but and sitting at a at a, a desk all day and pushing around paper. That when he came to training, he didn't even know what a double hung window was. Mm. Had no idea. Had no idea what this industry was. Had no idea what the products were, but just bought into the model. I have to ask you about this. Um, I know that you and I have spoken before and you shared a story about, I don't remember the exact details, but you talked about how you'd done a presentation, you were at a conference or something, and you I think you had standing room only, if I remember what you said correctly, but then afterwards, someone came up to you and said something along the lines of, Dan, you realize no one bought anything you just said. You've got to share that yeah. story again. What what was that all about? I had uh, I was invited to a conference to speak about my model. There were two thousand contractors. I spoke probably for twice as long as I should have spoken. And afterwards, the facilitator said, "You know, in two days of 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 presentations, you are the buzz of this entire conference." And I said, thank you. And she goes, and do you know how many people are going to change their model to yours? And I said, I have no idea. And she said, none, because no one believed a word you said. Okay. And wait, so how long ago was that? Eh, It was probably 18 months ago. Wow. Okay. Right. Because that's what I was going to say. So obviously we all know that Zen is clearly growing, but what about in outside of the window industry. I mean, are, do you really think that with other companies, even if you still have your showrooms and your, you know, brick and mortar locations, like, do you see any trend in the industry of other companies, you know, going toward this online model at all? Uh, Tara, I thought <laughs> that a week after I started this thing, everyone would just copycat. Right. And now, um, eight or nine years into it, and I don't see anybody doing anything close to what we're doing. Does that still and baffle you? It, uh, yeah, it baffles me because um, it's a no-brainer. I mean, you see what's going on with retail. You see what's going on with these stores. You see what's going on with Macy's. Uh, you see what's going on, <laughs> I mean, we buy our cars online. We have we, we don't even go to the grocery store. Those are delivered. 
everything is done online. I can't tell you how many Amazon boxes come to my house a day. It's just mind boggling that you're going to have brick and mortar and rent and electric and utilities and employees and salespeople and sales commissions. And I can continue with that, but why do that? Okay, but I have... So I have to play the devil's advocate here. So I know there's people listening that are saying, okay, so he's, you know, these people are starting locations and they don't know what a double hung window is. So then tell me how the installation works. Cause I know there's people thinking, well, you know, you know, obviously it has to be installed Mm -hmm. correctly. So take us through that part of it. So people understand that as well. Yeah. So part of the infrastructure before anyone comes on is that, uh, and I just brought on a new partner. His name is Kyle Dershler. He's a young kid. He's 33. Um, and he's perfect. He's perfect. Doesn't have a wife. Doesn't have a dog. Doesn't have any kids. He's a CPA. And he is a hustler. And we're building an infrastructure that, and this is why I said we have a waiting list, is that before anyone comes on to Zen, they have their infrastructure set in place. So people like Tyson knows installers all over the country. And let's just say someone wants to open in Chicago. Well, I'm going to make sure that they have three or four crews before they come on because I'm not going to have them come on with no installers. So, um, and the allure for installers to come to Zen is we pay the best. We don't even call them installers, we call them partners, because without them, we have nothing. And we treat them just, we break bread with them. They love us. Do you we have, treat them like family. Do you have problems like everybody else in the industry does in finding those um, good partners? Um, not, well, we have very scientific ads that we put out and people just flock to us. And then of course we have a vetting process. So, but you know, these are guys that are the best of the best. And we do realize that skilled labor is a really, really difficult thing thing these days, but there are still really good guys out there. And if you treat them right and you pay them right, they're gonna work for you and keep them busy, which we do. Well, I think I can't count the number of times I've heard people talk about the door and window industries and how, you know, people are so deeply entrenched in how things have always been done. I guess this is just one of those models that, you know, you're only going to capture those people who think differently. Another thing I, I wanted to comment coming in this morning, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about, I think it was Hilton was the ranked the number one employer by uh, whatever this was, and it was based on culture. And they just talked about uh, the lifestyle, the benefits that they kind of shower their employees with. I guess you mentioned that scientific ad. I mean, are you trying to get some of those things across to lure people in? What What did you mean by that? I didn't mean to lure them in. I just wanted to let them know that, you know, it's not just, hey, we're hiring. It's, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how you'll be treated and so forth and so on. So 
that's what I meant by scientific. Scientific may not be the right, the correct word. Uh, we don't lure people in, but we want people to look at this and say, that is completely different and I've got to call this company. And is the goal for you to score a uh, location in all 50 states and how, you know, how far along have you come? Our goal right now is to make sure that we have, within the next five years, 55 locations all doing over a million dollars. Now, a million dollars to some companies may not seem like a lot, but for our guys, they have this lifestyle, and the average spend for marketing is 3%. Yeah, I kind of figured you were going to go there, the overhead route, because earlier you mentioned how you didn't have such a front-end office and administrative costs and this and that. So I guess, you know, one million is a kind of a different number when you don't have those expenses. Right. Well, your expenses are three, four percent, and then, you know, that's, you get the lifestyle. And, you know, like I said, you're not going to be making multi-millions of dollars per year. Uh, Maybe Brian will because he's got Ty over there, and he did two and a half million, two and a half million, I think, in year four last year. But um, yeah, so that's 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 that. All right. Um, well, Dan, we can't thank you enough for joining us, but that's about all the time we have for this episode. Um, and we just want to remind everyone, if you're interested in being a guest or our next sponsor, don't forget to email me at ttafra at glass.com. Yeah, Dan, thanks again for joining us. We really enjoyed it. And I think we could go on forever, really, to be honest, but have to keep people from falling asleep on us, right? Yes. I'm oh, good at that. Always a great conversation. Thank you so much, Dan. Tara, thank you. And Drew, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. And in the meantime, we're signing off, but uh, we'll be back in March. So look for us then.